Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court for another week. I'm Mac McDonald. Ralph Sampson here, of course. His name is all over the place, so, you know, it's on restaurant billboards now. And- <laughs> camps and everything so stick how you been how you finished camp huh yeah we finished camp back last week the eighth week at Mathenon resort and lovely Mathenon, mcgagasville virginia area and it was fun i had a ball with eight weeks it got taxing mac as you know um in the seventh or eighth week because it was just got a really good routine in the groove but the kids loved it we now build a new website with samsonbasketballacademy.com kids become a member and now we have a relationship with those kids that came, and it's been very special for me to be able to really do that again after not being able to do it in the pandemic. So I look forward to doing it. We already, Mac, we already doing the virtual, and we're doing the uh, camp already scheduled for next year already because wow. they're excited about getting it done. Oh, good stuff. When you walk away from a camp, you know a lot of weeks, a lot of kids, a lot of parents, a lot of basketball. Uh, what's your thought? You know, coming away from camp. I mean, you got to feel pretty gratified, right? Yeah, it's very gratifying, but uh, I tell kids at the beginning, like on Monday or Tuesday when they start, depending on what day, right, the first day of camp, they're like, oh, they're getting to know me, and and they are getting to know, I'm getting to know them, and you know, I just set the ground rules up front, right? So right. I line them up in a certain way, I call it roll call, I test them out a little bit, and we get known. The second day is cool, because now they know the routine a little bit. The third day, we become best friends. <laughs> but now we got to go. We got to leave. We got to go home, right? And it becomes sad because I do that. And then, Mac, what we do right. on the third day is we have the parents against the kids dribbling and shooting. And it's called, I call it call out. So they'll call each other out and which way one wants to do it. And the kids normally win, right? But it's fun to see the parents get out there in flip flops or sandals. Or oh, I had a lady out there last week in a dress. She, <laughs> She said she didn't want to do it, and she sat on the sidelines, and she saw a kid having so much fun. She got out there in her dress and no shoes on. So it was fun to see that. And then the best thing about that was week after week after week, the stories that came back to Mass Nut number one, but also there were parents there with kids that went to my camps 20 years ago. Wow. And they had kids in the camp. So that's the special part that they believe in what I did 20 years ago, but what we do now and some of the things I teach today are the same things I taught 20 years ago. And the dad said, I remember Matt, motivation, attitude, and play. I remember what you said then. And wow. I carried that. And my kid now hears again. So I thank you for that. So All right, motivation. that's, the, that's that the fun again. part. Say that again. Say it slower. Motivation. Attitude and plan. So I created a program attitude called Attitude and plan. Okay. Map, right. map your way to success. Like what's wrong? This came from Coach Allen uh-huh. and Roger Burby, right? So what is your game plan? What's your map? Right. Te- teachers have a map. 
parents have a map for kids, so kids don't have a map. They just do what you're told, right? So I want to be self-motivated to be the best I can. I want to have a great attitude because most kids say, oh, that kid has a bad attitude, whatever. And then what is your plan? And so we want to make sure that they have a plan that they write down and this year or whatever year it may be going into school, they need to have a plan of attack. Motivation, attitude, and plan. That's terrific stuff. Well, that should apply to the new bricks and mortar, uh, the new menu, uh, all the things that you're doing, Rob. You're finding out that having a name on a restaurant is not easy, right? <laughs> no, it's not because, I mean, luckily I have a, a, a really good team around me with Warren Thompson and Thompson Hospitality Group, right? So mm-hmm. we've been on the phone a couple of times this week and last week. And then what is your idea? What do you envision? What do you see? And I really want the fans out there, like, I'm going to put some stuff on Facebook. What do the fans like to see in this restaurant? Because we want them to enjoy it as well. But some of the things, working on my mom's macaroni and cheese, because it's pretty, pretty good, right? So the Sarah Sampson macaroni and cheese, we're trying to put that on the menu. And Mike, I tell you, for people out there, before, I didn't want to do a restaurant, but I want to do something that was special enough to be able to get the alumni athletes involved in this as well. So we're doing something with them that will be announced here sometime soon. But also then being at Barracks Road where the old Zinsberger was, I got some I got some before and after pictures I'm going to start posting on social media as well. But to be able to do that, I talked to actually Mrs. Holland today, mm-hmm. and I want to honor Coach Holland in the opening. And no one else knows that until oh, now. Wow. But we put it out there, but I want to honor Coach Holland in the opening some way, shape or form, right? It's kind of special for me to do that. So it's going to be a fun place to be. I know it's hard to, it's hard to tell, especially with a restaurant. Have you nailed down a date? Do you have any feel for when it might be? Yeah, we we first projected between the 15th and the 30th of September, but due to shipping of like just chairs, right? Right. But it's tough. So we think it hopefully the first week or so in October, and then we'll do another, event probably the first game the first uh, exhibition game between uva i think they play a navy or somebody like that we'll do something in that game as well and then we'll be off to races after that no uh, that's good stuff don't worry i can't even get windows here so you know <laughs> you can't get chairs when everything no, it's, it's hard it's hard i think the best way to tease and what where ralph and i are traveling today it might have been the most impressive couple of weeks maybe maybe the most I don't know, interesting, 14 or 15 days in college basketball history. December 1982. The Dyard fans will know where I'm going. Well, we'll give you details when we come back. So welcome into the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. We'll be right back. The mission for the Sampson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work.
Wingate, free throw line, right side, Gene Smith, across the perimeter, Wingate again, left side, Anthony Jones, low, Ewing, Ewing back to Wingate, Wingate, jumper, 15, off the rim, no good, and Robinson is there with another big rebound to Ricky Stokes, Cavaliers run, lead to Rick Carlisle, pulls up 15, Rick, yes! That's a good shot, he needs that shot this half. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. And I had this idea because I've been moving some boxes and unpacking a few things, and I found, and I'll, I'll show it on Zoom, Ralph has seen it a thousand times. Uh, November 29, 1982 was the issue of Sports Illustrated. It simply said, the college basketball issue, of course, Sports Illustrated said at that time, Virginia would be number one. The headline said, I'm waiting for you, Patrick. When the game was put together, it was December 11th, of, of 1982 that december and they called it the game of the decade before the game of the century ralph two weeks of college basketball that i think we'll never see again and i want you to take us inside some of the things that happened and that's what's illustrated um i can recall the cover being shot uh-huh. in a lovely weight room with john gamble and coach dunn <laughs> and I had just, it, it, everybody asked me, well, was your, were your arms really that big? I said, yeah, they were really that big. But I had just finished lifting weights with John Gamble. So you know I was swollen up at that point in time. And, Got and, it. But that, that was a good picture for me, and it's historical after that point in time. But I recall after the fact, getting Russ Potts, Senator Russ Potts out of Winchester. Yes, Virginia, right. Helped to orchestrate that game somehow. He, he still had to tell me the full detail story, how he did it. But he told me something like, oh, it made both schools a lot of money, blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. So anyway, that's my senior year. And I'm, I'm ready to come out. You know, I'm ready to play, et cetera, et cetera. But I know fans out there may recall if they remember back at that time. That was a run, as you said, Mac, that we played everybody in the country that was in the top 10 almost. We played Carolina and Jordan. We played Clemson. We played all the ACC powers, right, leading to that game. Yeah. And we won every game that we played in, right? And it was, uh, you know, a good time to play. But we had finally three or four days off before the Georgetown game, right? Right. And that's the that's the time where, you know, I was focused. We had interviews, like, every day, Sports Illustrated covers, et cetera, et cetera. And in practice, I got need by Dean Carpenter in my – this is the weirdest thing that I remember. I got need in my thigh by Dean Carpenter, of all people. Right. Uh, which led to a – Thigh bruise before this game because we had very intense practices because of Georgetown defense, right? They right. wanted to pressure and push right. over Michael Jackson and Patrick in the back, et cetera, et cetera. I got hit in the knee in practice, which led to a thigh bruise, which led to my knee swelling. Now, Mac, you know I'm not going to miss this game. I'm not going to yeah, not no play in this game, et cetera, no et cetera. So, lovely Doc Frank McHugh looks at it and he takes a needle in his office and sticks it in the side of my knee and drains the fluid out of my knee and wraps it with H bandits. Fortunately, it was only what is called synovial fluid in the joint, right. which which causes the knee to swell a little bit if you have something actually say protecting for the knee. And so he pulled it out and it was no blood in it. He said, well, thank God there's no blood because there's blood in there's an issue at that point in time. But going back at that, everybody would know that that's probably the first indication of me having knee issues in my NBA career because of that drainage and things that wow. happened. Wow, from the uh, Dean Carpenter hit. 
Dean Carpenter had, and Doc McHugh said, remember when he, when he operated on me the first time after my NBA injury when I tore my meniscus, he said, remember that hit in, in college where I drained? I said, yeah, this is probably something that also happened back then and there as well, which I did not know. So I remember that vividly. And then I went the next day in practice. Uh, I used to the next day in practice and I felt really good. If you watch that game, I had a knee brace on uh, during that game yeah. as well. Yeah. So we have played everybody. We had a very intense practices. Uh, our guard, Othell, Ricky, everybody had to, Rick Carl had to press up on defense. And we go in that game, we, we, we fired up, ready to go. And everybody remembers, I don't know if it's in that Sports Illustrated or not, but we leave the game like on a Thursday or whatever. Well, we leave on a Wednesday. It took us three and four hours to get from Charlottesville to Washington, D.C. at the Capitol in a freaking snowstorm blizzard, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm sure everybody remember that as well, but – that that was part of it. It was part of yeah. the whole war, and then we leave after that. Yeah, the the uh, um, the blizzard that night too. Uh, yes, you know yes. of the game, December eleventh. Well, just to, some of the numbers. I want to get back to Russ Potts because to walk people through this, it was WTBS that bought the television rights, and they paid a whopping five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars now, which is about what a thirty-second spot. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, and so. They were looking at a potential cable audience of 24 million. Now you talk about Russ Potts. He worked at Maryland. He was an assistant SID, but he had a, uh, he was the head of a sports productions company in Dallas and they bought sporting events for TV syndication. Now there was all kinds of other players involved. NBC wanted it. CBS right. wanted it. They right. wanted to move it. They wanted it in January. Uh, the, but the, uh, the athletic director at Georgetown, um, a guy by the name of Renzo, who who said no 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 this is where we're going to play and that's where Virginia wants to play it they don't want to play it when you when you get into ACC stuff but on May 26th so so the bid started May on May 26th bids came from seven networks CBS NBC TBS Cat Sports Tanner Inc TVS and Madison Square Garden all wanted the game okay and then CBS puts in a bid but contingent that said the Hoyas would have to shift the game the night to uh, January 8th if they wanted primetime exposure. There was also a talk about another uh, switch in games and dates with, uh, with St. John's three days later after playing your game on the 8th, while Georgetown said, no, that's not going to happen. So anyway, Dick Schultz, who was the AD at the time, and Russell Potts, Renzo from Georgetown, they all said, it's a done deal. And it was, and they were ready to go. So it became the largest game on cable syndication to ever be played uh, wow. at that time on TBS. Again, you would think at that time in 82 Packer, you know, Billy Packer, Al McGuire, those days yeah, yeah. that CBS or NBC should have it. CBS had a Disney movie and <laughs> had some kind of other programming that they didn't want to change because it ended up on a Saturday night. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, Saturday night. So the so the amazing part is it gets done. So my question to you, this deal gets cut in May of 82. All right. You're approaching your senior year. I don't know what you're doing that summer. Where are you? <laughs> Where are you this summer of 82? Well, 82, I mean, you know, I was I know I was probably coming back because I had to make a decision to stay in school or not, right? Right. Uh in June. So I wouldn't really worry about the next year's schedule or anything. I was worried about making a decision whether I was going to stay in school or go in the NBA. So but you that had happened. made the decision before June, right? I had to make it before June, yes. Okay. Uh, so it was like, you know, 
April, May, May is the same time this was happening, right? At that point right. in time. So I had made a decision. I think some of the negotiations from what I remember was, okay, if he stands, he's going, what's going to happen? If he goes, then this game is canceled or not. So when I decided I was going to stay at that point, then, then I remember Russ Spots saying, okay, now we can, we can uh, further negotiate because he's staying, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Okay. So that didn't start to happen because you just mentioned that there were seven, eight networks, but I did not know uh, at that time, especially what was going on. And then you can imagine only the negotiations from that. So all that I do know from that standpoint, Rush Potts said, East School is going to make a lot of money. You know, East School <laughs> will make a lot of money. I'm like, okay, whatever. And that's, you know, that's when I met him. I, I know I have a, a really good relationship, you know, after the fact. But back then, I didn't know him that well. So just, oh, Rush Potts. And Rush has a unique voice that you can never, never mistake, right? Right. So right. you know Russell, who Rush Potts right. is from that standpoint. So that's how far I go back with that. We just worked out like we normally did. I didn't pay mm-hmm. attention to the game until a couple of weeks before the game was going to happen, right? Because I knew it was coming. So, you know, you look at the schedule, you know, that game is coming up. You don't pay attention to it because you want to play each, each and every each and every game individually because you want to win each game that you're playing. So I paid not a lot of attention to it until actually the, the hype, until the Sports Illustrated cover picture, mm-hmm. all the hoopla that the week before, whatever. Because we had, we had come off a grueling ride, like we said, of a number of games, and then also had three or four days, five days to rest and recuperate and then get ready for this game. Now you're talking about Doug Elgin coming in. Like, we got this interview, that interview, you got this photo shoot, you got that photo shoot. It was uh, crazy uh, for three or four days there. Do you remember then really when you knew about the game itself, when it was actually solidified? Yeah, it, was, it had to be in June or, or in the summertime. Okay, okay. so you summer. knew it was coming. Okay, yeah, you knew early summer, so I knew it. Then it was scheduled out, schedules being printed, and you know, you mark certain games on the schedule. Oh, so I got probably it. early okay. summer. Early yeah. summer. So anyway, Sports Illustrated's hype article, which I'm going to get to in a second. I have it right here. There was so much talk, and Kirk Kirkpatrick, who was a great writer with Sports Illustrated, uh, a lot of comparisons. Uh, basically picked Virginia. They said that you were more athletic than Patrick Ewing. And we're going to get more into the game in just a little bit. Uh, but they, they went into uh, Chamberlain versus Russell, uh, you know, ma- big, big man matchups. And they really, it's a, I don't know, it's a four or five page article with, uh, you know, some really good stuff about. Yeah, I think they went into uh, even uh, Elvin Hayes and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the game with a century in the, yeah. in the Astrodome. Yeah, exactly. So. But they they thought that that Ewing, even though he was the younger guy, that uh, that he was more of a muscle guy and wasn't going to be able to move like you, and that you had more uh, flexibility and that you moved around the basket a lot more, and you were going to be able to uh, take care. But but they both admitted, look, it takes a team to to win this game. I mean, you know, that's the way it was going to going to break down. A 57-53 lead for Virginia. Five and a half minutes to go. Carlisle Trapp stops his dribble. The hook pass, Robinson. Robinson, back door. Wilson dumps it. Ralph bobbles it. Ralph in a crowd, lays it up, can't get it. Gets his own rebound. Up again, blocked by Ewing. Ralph has the ball again, goes up, blocked by Ewing. And the foul will be on Patrick Ewing as he went in against Sampson. And Ralph comes away, swinging his arm. Oh, my. And you thought Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard went toe-to-toe. What a great play. The Winner Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court, the Winner Circle Network, and I'm Mac McDonald. Ralph Sampson, of course, right here. Ralph, so we get ready for the Georgetown game that night. Uh, it was, as you said, crazy. Probably is an understatement. The hype. 
the fans, uh, the fans finally got there uh, because of the blizzard. We were supposed to leave for Tokyo the next day. The snow was probably going to delay that. But the game itself, what was the game plan? Well, a couple of points, Mac, before the game started. I had a cousin named Calvin Williams that played at Eastern Minnesota University and then taught me basketball with my cousins early on. But everybody around me, family-wise, especially the, the, the guy said, you know, you need, you'll get, you know, it's going to be very physical. Patrick's physical. You're, you're, you're much more finesse and graceful. You got to get up and run them down the court because they, they would run, right? They would get them down the court. And, you know, don't get dunked on. So that, all, that, all the stuff out from cousin and family. So I had to focus <laughs> on getting all that out of me, right? Y'all, y'all say what you got to say. Here's the ticket that I have. Everybody, you got to buy your own after that. So I just focused on that. But Coach Allen's game plan was, I call it control chaos. So we went and we, and we come on, we had, they had Michael Jackson that was just as tall as Ricky Stokes, right? But Ricky was faster than he was, quicker, shoot better, et cetera. But, Georgetown always pushed up on the ball mm-hmm. and they pressured. So we know Ricky and Odell could be very deliberate and, and, and handle the pressure ball, but we put Rick Carlisle in the middle of the press and he could handle it not as well as Ricky or, 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 or Odell, but he could give you two or three dribbles, get on court. Then we could set up our offense. Now, if we had a chance to run, we wanted to run. And in that game, I recall, there was a time where we both went back and forth. You know, I had a dunk. Patrick had a dunk. Mm-hmm. He blocked each other's shot. Uh, yeah, I remember coming out and getting the foul, throwing my fist up and saying, yeah, you got away and going to the free throw line. Uh, there's the iconic picture that I'm uh, posting Patrick up, and he's trying to uh, box me out and not get the ball. So the game was within the game, right, when it came down to it. And Coach Holland prepared us extremely well because, again, I mentioned that Dean Carpenter hit me and my thigh, I got a thigh bro that led to my draining on my knee. So, you know, we had five on six practices just to get the ball up the court with the guards because we knew their pressure defense was going to be 40 minutes of craziness, right? So we knew it, and that's what we created in practice. Was there a lot of chatter among the players? Was there smack talk, or was there just a lot of respect and, you know, people just tried to play? Well, in the beginning of the game, there was, you know, there was a hype, right? Everybody was hyped up, especially the first, the first couple of minutes. Now, I'm, I was known for being hyped up two or three minutes of the game, hyperventilating every game I played in at UVA. And they, Coach Allen would take me out, and uh, Joe Geek would sit me there with a, a brown paper bag to breathe in so I would mm. not hyperventilate, take me out and put me back in. So the game, the first five minutes, was just crazy, right? Crazy hype. And once everything settled down, and to me, one of the best things about the Capitol Center was, and I had gone to games as a young kid, seeing the uh, Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsell and Bobby Damage and those guys play, and then having the opportunity to play in the Capitol Classic there as well as a high school uh, senior. But to me, it was one of the best places to play in the NBA at that point in time, right? Mm. Uh, all the stands were blacked out. When the lights went down, you couldn't see the fans. You only saw the court. So the same thing happened when we played. You didn't pay attention to the fans. You heard them, but you couldn't mm-hmm. point them and call them out because the lights were down. So that really made us focus on the game totally across the board. So in the course of the game, you know, you could focus. And then we saw these spurts that we had that was really synonymous of the game and how it was going to pan out because uh, Patrick didn't talk much. Michael Jackson didn't talk much, but they had a couple of guys uh, that were more uh, senior veterans that talk a lot of noise, right? <laughs> and, you know, Rick called out and was like, okay, what is he got? I said, Rick, just send them, send them my way. Send them, send them over down through the middle. 
I'm going to block the shot or rebound, whatever. But they talk smack and they try to scare our guys, but we were ready. Coach Allen prepared us phenomenally sure. and we sure. were ready to play. There was a and there was a point during the game and there was a flurry um, where you kept getting hit and you kept getting the rebound and you kept trying to put it up. And then Ewing finally, you know, got called for the foul and you're walking away yeah, and you're swinging your arm because I remember doing, you know, the play by play and you're swinging your arm. But then you signal to the Georgetown bench. Somebody said something, I think. And do you remember this where you said, do, come on, do, come do. on the floor. Yeah. If that's yeah. you, do you remember what was said? When I, I remember the play because you know I, 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 I was getting fouled, they wouldn't call it, and they were just letting this play. Right now, I know they were letting this play, and they had a Georgetown had another big guy. They really couldn't play well. But he was six foot eleven. He was okay, adequate, but he was just with somebody fouled. He was getting up talking north. They're like, you know, bring your little tail on out here. Here, you come <laughs> out here and stop this. You know, Patrick can't stop it. You can't stop it. So, you know, they, they had a good starting five, good front line of, of guys that could play. But, you know, you want to stand up and scream and holler that I can't make the basket or whatever, but you found right. So come on out here and get some. That's, <laughs> that's what was going on. All right. Just as a precursor, too, and I don't want to forget this story. So uh, it turns out, yeah, back forth, Virginia had a couple big leads, 10-point lead, 11-point lead. Georgetown came back, made it close. Uh, it was a five-point win, 68-63. The Sports Illustrated article that I found today, and it was on the cover, and it said, I'm waiting for you, Patrick. And Curry Kirkpatrick, after he interviewed you, there was a reason why he wrote that headline. And I know you've told the story before, but I want you to tell it again, because you were living on the lawn and you were you were awakened at 4 a.m. Am I getting this story, the details right from a tourist from New Hampshire? And I'll let you pick up the story from there because it's a true story. At least it appeared in the Sports Illustrated article. Yeah, very true story. So in my senior year, obviously, I lived on the lawn in number six. And and um, I would get, you know, calls and, you know, not calls, but somebody would knock on the door or whatever <laughs> all the time, especially on the football game weekend. So the Georgetown game was one of those ones that that was hyped up. And I would Mac, run from the lawn to University Hall, and we would run three miles preseason. So I was used to that. I was having fun. I was focused, et cetera. Right. But – Certain games, football games or basketball games, it was just crazy because I get people knocking on my door. Now, we changed the number six, which was my room on the lawn, and we flipped the thing to number nine, and we flipped the number six, number nine to number six. So the lady that was in number nine that turned to number six, she got knocked on the door, knocked on the door more than I did, right? So they found out that I wasn't her and it was me, so everybody, somebody figured it out. So I got knocked on the door three or four o'clock in the morning all the time. Henceforth, Coach Allen said, you got to move out. You can't you can't just go through the season. We got a long season to go. So I moved out of the city of Shaw a little bit further out. So I move out of the the lawn, right? And I go to Turtle Creek Apartments out on Hydraulic Road in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were brand new at that point in time. Me and Al Gray was my roommate. And I, I had a van and a stereo system in it. But... I got so many crazy things happening from that those experiences, right? People would take a tower off my car or, or people stole the stereo out of my car. And so I parked under my window one night and Coach Allen and lovely Doc McHugh would say, okay, if something happens, call us or call the sheriff. So I had an alarm put in the car and I go to sleep don't hit an alarm, they steal the stereo out. And I didn't, I couldn't call the cops. So like, uh, they stole it out, so we put another one at that point in time. So stuff was happening right. all the time that I knew about, but some things I didn't know about. 
So that's why they put me out in the uh, city of Charlottesville with Al Gray, one of our managers, so that I could be a little bit more protected and not really know where I lived at that point in time because the law was special, but everybody knew I lived there. So, yeah. you know, fans, other, you know, other teams would come to town the night before with their fans and knock on the door. So they would knock, but I wasn't there. So it was the best thing ever that I did. But I went back to Lawn in, in, in the spring and had a, had a ball. So those stories are true, and it, it happened more often than I would want to speak speak about as well. Sure, Ralph's uh, Ralph's quote: "He was nothing but another crazy drunk, but you know what the dude told the cops down at the station. They asked him what he wanted from me. He said he was passing through, so he thought he'd come and tell Ralph Sampson that Pat Ewing is waiting. Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> of the Sports Illustrated he's waiting." He didn't even know Patrick Ewing, so he just was a Georgetown fan. And ironically, back, back you know, they were only two or three hours away from, from Charlottesville. So they would come down, knock on, knock on the door or whatever. But, you know, why didn't you just wait till I get to Cap Center and tell me that up there? But, you know, yeah, fans Curry, crazy sometimes. And then before we go to break, Curry Kirkpatrick ended this, the uh, article by saying, and it's a quote from you, I recognize my approach. This season has to be different. It's my last chance. To win a championship, I'll have no excuses. I'm stronger, faster. I can jump higher. I'm in better shape than I've ever been. I'm going full throttle every game. No slack offs. My approach to this game is that somebody, Ewing, wants to play hard. So I'll play hard. Let's go at it. Let's get it on. I feel my time has come. And then Patrick ends the article, and it has. Somebody tell Patrick Ewing that Ralph Sampson is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> players at tiny Chaminade College in Hawaii are flying high and with good reason. What they pulled off last night is the equivalent of Yankton College beating the University of Georgia in football. A golden glover knocking out heavyweight champ Larry Holmes. The Silver Swords of Chaminade beat the University of Virginia, the number one college team in the country. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network. Mac McDonald with Ralph Sampson, uh, just traveling memory lane. I just think it's a good time to, I, I'd always said I really wanted to talk to Ralph about this and get into some details. We we got delayed a day. We ended up flying to Tokyo through Anchorage, uh, had a layover, ended up in Tokyo to play. Now, Ralph is sick. Ralph is dehydrated. Um, the Georgetown, It was the Georgetown game, really, that dehydrated you, correct? Yeah, I mean, I had a touch of flu as well, probably mm -hmm. riding up and, go, you know, then my knee being drained, et cetera. But, again, I, I wanted to play. I wasn't going to not play. And then uh, after that game, because of the hype, because of the games before that over a period of time, because of the practices, I was, I was beat up and tired. You know, I was yeah. uh, out at that point in time. And then, you know, we go through the snowstorm, we win the game, and, we got to get up like 5.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, catch another flight from Washington uh, Airport area to Anchorage, which was like a six-hour flight, right? Then mm -hmm. we can stop over there. The crazy part, Mac, you remember, sure. We get to Anchorage, and first time I've ever seen an a, a apple in the airport cost like $10. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry. I need to get something to eat. And then we had a limited budget at that point in time. Sure. You had to get something to eat and breakfast and go to the airport, and the freaking apple cost $10. Like, man, where am I at? So we leave from Anchorage going to you know, Tokyo to play over there, which was uh, another long flight. So I was wore out when I got there. Yeah. And um, and and this, it was a showcase. The Suntory 
uh, a drink yeah. company, put it on the Suntory. It was called the, what the Suntory basketball or whatever. I don't remember the, but it, anyway, it was sponsored by Suntory. The, at that time, the Asian people um, really not all that familiar with basketball. This was the early eighties. It was still, um, you know, kind of new to them, but of course, Ralph was on all the posters and all the pre uh, and it wasn't a tournament. As I said, it was just a, a, a two game showcase. Right, right. Uh, Virginia would play uh, Faisalam and Jam and then would play Utah and then Utah and Houston would end up playing too. So it was just kind of right. a little round robin get together. And uh, well, Ralph was unable to play in that game with Houston, was sick in bed. And the president, apparently, the Suntory Drink Company said, no, Ralph has to be there. Ralph has to play. There's no way that he cannot play in this first game. And, and you know, they were a top five, top 10 team at the time. Houston yeah. was, you know, Clyde Drexler and Michael Young. I mean, these guys were uh, Akeem. I mean, these guys were good, right? They were the real yeah. deal. So, so anyway, Doc, uh, I mean, um, Jock Doc, who Ralph, you know, uh, Doc May, who was the team doctor, was telling this guy, right? Like, Correct me if I'm wrong. There's no way we're moving Ralph from this bed. Look at the IVs. We're not getting him out of this bed, correct? Correct. And so the Suntory guy cut a little deal with you, didn't he? To say, okay, just come go through the pregame, correct? Correct, correct. <laughs> it was crazy. So, I mean, we, we get off the plane, and it was the first time I really kind of knew. I mean, I'm in another country. Mm-hmm. right and all of us we see, were yeah yeah we, we see this i see this i mean i wish i i really wish i had the poster maybe i could find it somewhere but it was a poster it was like a billboard whatever of myself and the team whatever in letters in japan right in japanese right, right. okay great. Right. so this is a pretty big deal i'm in another country and i got a billboard on the side of a building okay great <laughs> but i'm still not feeling well so uh jock doc you know i say great jock doc coach alex so jogi you know, I'm tired, so I have a fever. I'm you know, not feeling well. And Ken Elin was my roommate at that point in time. We always room together. So they come to the room, and I got an IV in my arm, laid in the bed, like I can't get nowhere. And Doc, Doc negotiated, well, he can't go nowhere. And the guy's speaking in Japanese. You got to go. There was this lady interpreter. He's got he's got to play. I mean, these <laughs> people will tear down the building if he's not playing. They wait to see him. And Doc, Doc says, no, he just sticks to his gun. So... You know, and, and for me, it really shows the power of the teammates that I had at that right. point in time because I get up out of the bed, take the IV out, and go just wave at, just wave at the fans. And when I wave the fans, and go say, well, okay, I'll come wave, and they'll figure out whatever. When I get back to the room, I had all this Nikon camera equipment, like the best Nikon stuff that you can ever have, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to take pictures. So I did that, and everybody loved it. And then – my teammates beat Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and the Houston Cougars. So, again, we come off this beat Georgetown and Patrick Ewing to going in the next game with Ken Ealy and the crew and beating Akeem Olajuwon to prior to that Michael Jordan and the crew. So that run, as you said, was probably one that will never be du- duplicated in college basketball, right? No. It was the power of the coaching staff and – the players and the teammates I had was amazing because we still were quite on that high from Georgetown, right? So we were playing at a very good level and maybe Houston wasn't playing on a good level because I think they thought they were better than all of us as well. But that game was now because, you know, I think about it a lot sometimes when I think about playing that in that area where we played Houston and we could have played them in the final four 
at that point in time too when we got beat by uh, correct in the 83 so, could it, there could have been so it was kind of crazy how that happened but and it, Othel- was, it was right yeah, yeah and othello and ricky dominated the game and so it was clyde drexler in the post-game interviews and it was it, it went all over the american papers and, and everything at that time uh they played like a couple of smurfs out there and then yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> right, that's where right. ricky and othello got you know they got labeled and got tabbed there a win over utah um Again, the, the, the Asian crowd did not applaud. There was no cheering. They waved flags. If anything right, right, happened, right. they just waved flags, and that was it. They didn't stand. Yeah. So it was, it was just so totally different. The games were being heard. The, 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 those games in the Suntory tournament, I know because I was broadcasting them, uh, they were being heard at drive time, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning, something like that. Uh, with the you know with the time change uh, you know being so so different, I was assigned a uh, I was a, assigned a, a taxi cab driver just for me because I get there early, leave later, right, 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 in the team and, and doing post game, and he naturally he knocked me off the air uh, after the uh, Houston game, and he walks around, he gets waving the extension cord, and I went, what happened? You know, he goes, he thought I was done, so he just pulled the extension cord and was trying trying to help me but anyway so, so back which, which, which game was it was it the houston game or the georgetown game where our lovely friends jimmy miller and the crew that was the, the they, they erased they erased about seven minutes of the second half of the georgetown game okay that, that was yeah okay. yeah jimmy miller and tim mullen grabbed my tape recorder out of my bag they just they pushed play record and they started to recreate <laughs> your 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 dunks the crowd oh yes Right, right, right. They were doing all this stuff, and little did they know that they recorded seven minutes, like the Nixon tapes. Little did they know right, that right, they right, recorded right, right. over the probably the one of the biggest wins in in Virginia history, probably one of the top five. You know, so oh. uh, it was pretty good. But anyway, we go to we go to Hawaii. The team is in great spirits, great showing. You're eight and zero, I think, something like that. Uh, maybe nine and zero, uh, number one in the country. Uh, good workouts, uh, snorkeling Hanama Bay, <laughs> yeah, um, hanging out on the beach. I mean, everything going to this luau. Uh, I get dragged up on stage with a couple of hula dancers. All these memories, okay, were great. But then it came to this eight o'clock game to play Shamanad, which would be heard at one a.m. East Coast time, of course. And uh, as I said, a lot of the Shamanad stories have been told. I'm sure. What was halftime? I don't even remember the halftime score. It was close. You guys were up a couple, I think. And, you know, in a, in a game, maybe that you should have been blowing them out. Do you remember the Terry Holland message at halftime? Uh, no, I, I really don't remember the message. I know that we wouldn't, I mean, we weren't playing well. And I know uh, a senior that everybody like, okay, you know, we got to get going. We got to find a way to, to, to play and get better. And I think we, you know, we, we, after a run that we had, right, you go to a division, two division school, whatever they are, and we figure out, okay, we playing really well. We got, we a little cocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have beat everybody in the country, number one in both polls, et cetera. So we can win this game, you know, in our sleep. <laughs> so henceforth, you got snorkeling and sunbathing and scuba diving <laughs> and on the beach. And nightlife in Honolulu. Oh, that there's pictures of you. I, I get the picture. I see the pictures as well. But everybody are hanging out. So I'm like, okay, great. And you know, and I know Coach Alvin planned that trip because after that schedule, 
we would need a break like that, right? So why not go to Japan, back to Hawaii, and take a break yeah. and play play a game, which you have yeah. to play a game anyway. You couldn't take yeah, that. Let's just that, pick up a team. Game. Yeah, just pick up a game and come back, and you nine, eight, nine, ten, and zero. Well, ironically, the stars were lined up not for us to win. And I tell everybody all the time, if that game, which I don't like to lose, was anonymous in creating the Maui Classic, which still exists today, then so be it. I'll take the loss, but I still don't like it. The crazy part about it, uh, Tony Randolph, that was on that team as well, that still lives in Hawaii today, played at Robert A. Lee, now Stanton High School, which was my arch rival school, and I played against Mike Madden, his brother. And so he played against us. He went over there to play, and he was looking forward to that game as well because he was playing against me. Sure. I'd, I'd beat his brother up, you know, many, many years before. And then the other brother, Kevin Madden, went to UNC. So that whole Madden crew were really good basketball players. And then the older Madden brother played with the Harlem Globetrotters and Metal Lock Lemon. So basketball was in their blood at that point in time. So uh, Tony stayed there. And then we actually still communicate today sometimes. But it created the Maui Classic from that event with Merv Lopes, which I always tell people it was seven against five and, and eight with the coach on the sideline telling the referees, you got to make this call. And they were they were ready to play, and we we had lit off the gas at that point in time. Right, and it turned out, as I said, one of the biggest upsets in college basketball. Later, uh, in fact, just a couple of years ago, the book came out, "The Greatest Game Never Seen." It was only on radio, sitting courtside with Michael Wilbon, and uh, it didn't hit the Chicago papers. That was December twenty third, two weeks after the uh, you know or twelve days after the Georgetown win, right, right, and uh, you know people didn't know it. And it was after three a.m. and then of course, and it finally made the sports pages on yeah. Christmas morning when we landed in Chicago. But of course, TV did uh, you know try to pick it up at that time. But um, well, the crazy part about that, which we talked about, because we we had to lick our wounds coming back, was mm. we we put in the next team that we played after that because we were gonna kill somebody. But again, twelve days. Uh, of December 1982. I will never, ever forget those 12 days. Anyway, good stuff. We'll go to break. We'll come back and uh, we'll get ready to wrap up on uh, Center Court. This is the Winter Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. We'll continue right after this. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Welcome back to Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Good to have you along. And uh, Ralph, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for taking me down memory lane because, as I said, there were some things I had. I just had to get organized. Okay, there were some things that I just had to know. All right. And if we fast forward now, one of the biggest stories relating to basketball. Have you seen the contracts 
that you have you seen the contracts that all of a sudden are emerging in the NBA? I, I saw it on social media the other day, and and I'm looking at it now a little bit as well, and it's unbelievable. So, you know, I, I understand economics and finances, whatever. So, we just left a pandemic year, still in the pandemic year, where there was no fans in the stands at the NBA games, games canceled in a bubble. They spent probably a couple hundred million dollars just to do the games in a bubble, right? And TV, whatever. But the likes of a Steph Curry getting $215 million extended contract at 33, four years. And his one-year salary is double the whole team's salary of the Houston Rockets in 1992-3 when they won the championship with Kim Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. The, the, half his salary was is, 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 is more. His $53 million a year is double the salary of the Houston Rockets back then, which is a number of years ago, which you get, whatever. But you take the East and the West, you take the Lakers and the and the Warriors, and you take Giannis from the Milwaukee Bucks and the and the Brooklyn Nets. The top four guys, five guys on those teams are all collectively worth over a billion dollars. <laughs> and they're new contracts. <laughs> and they're new contracts. So Dag, Mike, I wish I was still playing. Because, you know, I mean to get and get awarded a $215 million. Now, Trey Young down in Atlanta, Georgia is not even on this list. Yeah, how about that? Not and he just got two hundred million dollars. Yeah, and he's only two or three years in the league. Yeah, so um, the evolution of the the, the finances in, the, in these NBA teams is astronomical about these salaries. But does it really mean that do we need fans in the stands, or is it, or is it TV oof. money, or whatever? And I think part of it is one because the logos on the jersey is like twenty five million dollars a year or something like that. It's crazy money per team. But then the whole betting thing is taking this thing over the top. Antetokounmpo, 45 million over five years. That's 45 million a year. A year. A, a year, year over five yeah. years. Stephen Curry, 53 million a year. That's a four-year deal at age 33. Donches is number, th- number three. Luca probably deserves yeah. it. Two, uh, five years, 41 million a year, yeah. a year for five years. And then Westbrook is at number four. Uh, 206 million over five years, so it comes out to 41 million a year. And then and, and LeBron James, Mac, is not even those top four or five you mentioned. Yeah, and Kevin Kevin Durant. Yeah, um, but it's it, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. I don't know where it's got Rudy Rudy Gobert, 41 million a year for now, five that's years. One, that's the one I'm upset about because he can't play. He's a big kid. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, Mac, I, I met him when I was living in LA for a little bit. Went to a restaurant, went up and, you know, respecting whatever. He just blew me off like it was nothing. Okay, great. And the guy told me, you know what, that's a Hall of Fame basketball player. So he came back around. But the guy can't shoot, can't make free throws. He can block a shot. <laughs> but the money he's making, I mean, he's getting seven points, eight points, maybe five, six rebounds, a couple black shots. When you played in when we played, you had to get 25, 20 points and 10 rebounds just to get a million dollars. Yeah. He's getting millions of dollars making eight points and three rebounds. Ben Simmons, 13th on the list, 35 million a year over five years. I just thought I'd throw that in too. Who well, I mean, you know, he, he, he's getting ready to get he traded. What he's going, he's going to go out to one of them teams that really he don't really want to be. Right. Like, you know, he's going to be a never, never land. So he hasn't made 
he hasn't made a free throw since leave it to beaver was in reruns. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Th- thank you. Thank you, Pete Gillen for that line. Oh, have a, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. It's been fun. Thank you for the memories. Uh, I may read that whole article tonight in sports illustrated. So I'm, I'm going to go back to it one of these days and read it as well. <laughs> It'll break back some minutes. We'll have to do it again and recap again once we read it all, but it, it was a great time for sure. It was. I'm waiting, Patrick. Uh, for Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald, and that's center court for this week on the Winner Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.